All right. Well, good morning, everybody, and, and Happy New Year to those of you who, uh, this is the first time we've seen you in the new year. It's great to be with you. Uh, I kind of, I love uh, January in San Diego is great because I, I love the cold, I love cold weather through the holidays. Feels good, and we didn't get it until after Christmas, but I love when you get, you know, a week or two of cold and a little bit of, I guess, San Diego stormy weather. And then by January 2nd, I'm ready to be back to San Diego, though. Anyone with me? Like 75 degrees, I'm okay with that now. Let's get back to that. Uh, so, uh, but one thing I love about holidays is, and, and when I like the, the kind of rainy weather that you have, and there's all these college bowl games on, it's like, I, I just like the, I'm not even watching them, but I just like the comfort of having them on and knowing if I want to watch Toledo play somebody, I can. It's on TV. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it, it, it's, I love just all the, you were inundated with sports for a couple of weeks, and those of you who know me, I, it just, it brings comfort to me, having cold and all that. So it's a fun time of year for me. Um, now, January, though, is a time where we always talk about the fact that it, most people take a little bit of time to reflect on their lives. It's January. It's when we kind of look back and we say, okay, what's the next year going to be? Because this is the year, right? I know this is your year where you're actually going to get healthy. You're going to eat differently. You're going to exercise more. 2023 is the year, right? I mean, how many of you were thinking that? And um, yes, okay, two of you. Great. It's great. We have an ambitious group here. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I feel like the last few years, everything's derailed. It's been derailed, but 2023 is going to be so normal. It's awesome. So, but <laughs> I was thinking one of the ways that I stay healthy, and fortunately I'm able to do this throughout the year, is, as, as you've heard, I've shared, uh, I like to play basketball. I like to, a couple times a week, sometimes three on a good week, get out there and exercise and play basketball. And I was thinking back to growing up playing basketball on the playground. It was, um, I grew up in the era when schools, you either played football during recess or basketball. I don't even think the kids are allowed to play football during recess anymore, which doesn't make any sense to me. But, so that's how it was for us, and, and you'd play on the playground, and one of the things we did as a kid when you're playing basketball is you take a shot, and, and you'd often emulate one of your favorite players. So in my era growing up, if you take a shot, often you'd call out the name of someone who you said you're being, and it would be like, Jordan. So if my era was Michael Jordan. He was like, Jordan, and you'd do a fadeaway clank off the rim or something, but it looked good before then. And so you'd always do that. As I got older, it became Kobe was the name I'd hear people. When they'd shoot, they would yell out Kobe. My dad used to say, like, old Celtics names. I'm like, are you kidding me, Dad? Like, I don't, those, I don't even know who you're talking about. Um, then it became maybe LeBron James. If kids, like, will make a move and, and say LeBron. And now you hear Curry when I see the kids come out and play and they emulate a shot. And so I was, I was thinking about that and watching it. And I'll still do that when I'm messing around with guys and I'll, and, or playing with my kids. I'll, I'll make a shot and, and try to say, like, oh, Curry, you know, and turn around as I miss it. Uh, but, but I was thinking about all of that. And what if, and, and I think it makes sense to take someone who you really like and try to imitate them. It makes a ton of sense. And, and anyone who does sports or some of you are into golfing or singing or dancing or whatever you're into, we have people we look up to and want to be like, and that's a good thing. But what if it was, if I were to take a couple of you up here right now and showed you a video clip of Steph Curry shooting three-point shots in the NBA and said, okay, I want you to, to do what he just did. Now, if you're a basketball player, some of you might be able to come close. If you've never played basketball, that would be entertaining to the rest of us to watch you try 
But what if you got out there to a game and, and you studied Steph Curry, you always watched his shots, and you, had, you knew what it looked like in your head, and every time you played a game, you try to emulate those shots. Now, your first game, you'd probably look like, okay, you kind of looked like him, but you didn't make any shots. Or you're... But maybe over time, if you always tried to rep- replicate a shot, maybe you start to look like him a little bit. But you're probably missing something in between. Would you agree with me? Did Steph, how, do, how do you become like Steph Curry in the shot? What would it take more than just game time? Come on, it's an easy word. Practice, yeah, right? I mean, if you only did it during the game, then you might look like him a little bit, but you're really not getting anywhere close. So you had to practice it over and over again. Now, I would argue that, that even that isn't enough. For me, I, I'm a, I love LeBron James. I think he's a great ba- basketball player because he and I have a very similar game. And so, <laughs> but if I wanted to be like LeBron James... And, and I even looked at him and studied his moves and practiced and did practice his moves time and time again. I'm still not going to be like him. In fact, there's a lot of NBA players who will never be as good or last as long as him. He's been playing already for 20 years and looks like he, he's 15 years younger still. Because there's something else. It's not just that he practices and he plays, but it's what he does in between. If I want to really be like LeBron James, I would have to eat the way he eats. And, and avoid certain foods that I don't want to avoid. I'd probably have to do his post-game routine that he does, which he gets into an ice bath and soaks in that, which to me, it's like, that's never worth it. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I would probably have to have a stretching routine. I'd probably have to learn to warm up and exercise in between practices. If you want to be great, it's not just about the moment of the game. It's not just about practice, but it's about all of life to really... Re- reach to that level. We're in a series here in January, we're calling it Healthy Habits. And what, I, what we want to do is we want to look at what does it mean to actually be a Christian, and what are the healthy habits of being a Christian? Because I think for many of us, sometimes Christianity is kind of like the guy who says, I'm going to play like Steph Curry every time I play. And so during the game, when the moments matter, you try to emulate, or what I mean is I'll be a Christian in the game time moments. But we forget that there's moments other than the game time moments. There's preparation that goes. And it's not even just about those. And, and what, what I would say is this, is some of us see Christianity as just about what would Jesus do moments. It's a time when we get cut off in traffic, and if we're astute, we might say, oh, what would Jesus do right now? Or maybe you get in a conflict with your spouse, and you might be able to stop and say, oh, Okay, what would Jesus do? How would he respond? Your kids come home with a report card. Some of you might say, what would Jesus do in this moment? Or those of you with young kids, and the kid is crying all night long, you say, what would Jesus do? Which would be heal him, or whatever, right? And just say, go to sleep, child. (laughs) But some of us see Christianity as only those game time moments. We only wait until the, the moment comes up that we need to respond like Christ, and that's when we try to be Christian. But with that mentality, we're missing out on what really means to be a disciple, and we're not really prepared for those moments. Just like just watching film and going out to play basketball only when it's game time, it doesn't really work. 
So today what we want to do is, as we go through this series, is talk about what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus, and what are those practices that we can include in our lives so that it's more than just the what would Jesus do moments of Christianity. Which, by the way, that's an okay question to ask, but it's not a philosophy that will actually produce a lot of fruit in the long run. So that's where we're going. Would you pray with me as we get started? God, we thank you for this time, and I thank you that you are a God of grace. Lord, and when you look at us, those of who are followers of you, who fall short, that, Lord, you don't keep a scorecard. You don't say, would you finally get your act together? That, as you say in your word, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So, Lord, you've experienced life that we have, and, and you understand that there are times when we are going to fall short, and we're going to go off the wrong path, and we're going to forget about you, and each time you are there to welcome us back. We are so grateful for that. But God, our hearts are for you. We want to follow you. We want you to be our Lord. So would you teach us and challenge us and change us and transform us into your image? We give you this time now in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Um, we're going to look at a couple passages in, in the book of Mark, and then I'm going to hit you with a whole bunch of other verses today, which I'll have on the screen for you when we get there. I don't like to have to be all over the place, but for today we are going to be, so you know ahead of time. Those of you who like to take notes, uh, we will give you all the references, and want to remind you, it's a new year, so we provide these things called life journals in the back of the room. If you like to take notes on your messages, there's space for 52 sermons in the year, so if you want to start off a new year, these are our gift to you in the back of the room, uh, if you want to f- use that as part of your walk. So we're going to start off with this question today, because we're talking about growing and what it means to be a disciple. And the first question we really want to address is this, why should we grow as Christians? You might hear that as, oh, I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow as a Christian. I w- what does that even mean, and, and why does that matter? If we are saved by grace, if God give, has given his spirit to us, if we have all that we need for life and godliness in us, then why do we even ask the question, or why do we even talk about growing as Christians? And can you grow your whole life? Some of you have been Christians for 70 years. Are you done growing? Are you, is, have you had enough? How could you possibly grow more? And so we want to address, does this matter? Why should we grow? But before we can even get there, we want to understand what does it mean to be what we would call a follower of Jesus. And so with that, let's go to the book of Mark and see how Jesus defined what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a follower of his. And so I'm going to give you a few different passages. Okay, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says, Jesus was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately Jesus called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they went away to follow Jesus. Let's skip down to Mark chapter 2. In verse 14, Jesus is walking by this tax collector that we know as either Levi or Matthew, and it says this, Jesus passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and Levi got up and followed him. 
So we can see already that Jesus calling his disciples, this word that keeps popping up is follow me, follow me, follow me. Look at Mark chapter 8, skip a few chapters over. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Jesus is summoning the crowds. He's speaking to a large crowd that was together with his disciples. And his disciples were more than just the 12 disciples. He had uh, dozens of, of people who called themselves disciples. And Jesus said to them, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. What does it benefit a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So what we have here is this theme that we see throughout Scripture where Jesus is inviting people to follow him, to be a part of his life and his teachings. Now this is rooted in a Jewish belief, in a Jewish way of life. We know that by the first century and a little bit before, there's a system that was developed called the rabbinical or the, rap, the system of rabbis, where there would be a rabbi who was a teacher of the law of Israel, and uh, they would gather students for them, and these students usually were the, the ones who kind of were the, the cream of the crop, who made it through what we would think of as elementary school or Hebrew school, memorizing scripture. They get to the next level and, and think of it like junior high of Torah, of learning the Bible, and if they got through that, often then a rabbi would invite disciples to follow him. And it became developed even more so in the years, uh, the centuries after Jesus. But by first century, we knew that this was a system that was in place. And the system involved a rabbi calling students to follow him. And in following him, the goal was that those students would learn what that rabbi learned, to believe what that rabbi believed, and to, to walk essentially in his ways. Uh, when I was living in Israel with my family, I was studying at Hebrew University there, and uh, there was a time when I was, there was this market that uh, we'd go and buy all the food, fruit and vegetables. It was a really busy market right there in the city of Jerusalem. And on Friday afternoon, which is the beginning of Sabbath, or Shabbat, uh, is at the end of the day, everything had to close down because it was the beginning of Sabbath. And it was, the businesses would be frantically trying to make their last few sales before they had to close down. And there was the uh, ultra-Orthodox group of, of people uh, in Israel who were very strict about the Sabbath. As soon as they said the sun went down, you had to close everything. As soon as it sunset, it had to be closed. And there would be, there'd be some from there, and there'd be rabbis who'd stand in the market with bullhorns and start yelling at people about 15 minutes in advance. You have to close, close, hurry up. You're running out of time, you're running out of time. And they would yell, and then if you got to the end when it, you were past due, they would be in your face yelling at you, telling you that it's time to rest and relax. It's Sabbath. <laughs> now, there's that. But there was one who was often there, and right behind him, like literally right behind him, was one of his students who walked everywhere he walked and watched what he did. Literally every step he would take, he would take the step and was directly behind his rabbi. He was learning what it meant to be like him. 
So this is the system that when we think of what it means to follow Jesus, the picture that Jesus is giving us is a picture that means, what does it look like to walk in my ways? How do you respond? And it's, it's like when we say, I want to shoot like Steph Curry, it would be, I need to know everything that he does so that when game time happens, I know how to perform. Jesus said this to, in Matthew chapter 11, I have this on the screen for you, verse 28. This is an open invite to all to be his disciple. It says, come to me, all you who were weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, or some translations say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So something that's going on here, he says, take my yoke upon you. We don't use that language in today. Yoke in the time of Jesus, as the rabbis used it, the yoke is this picture of what you'd put on top of the oxen to go plow the field. You'd put it on their shoulder and they'd carry the plow. So a rabbi would have a yoke. It was that rabbi's interpretation of how to live out and apply the principles of Scripture. So if, if a rabbi were to say, here's my yoke, that is, this is my way of living out the words of God that have been given to us. And notice, notice what he's saying. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. See, Jesus was living in a time when people were very religious. When they were trying to learn from rabbis who were telling them, this is how you have to live. You are, you're getting it wrong. You have to do it this way and this way. And they're putting burden upon them so that people were feeling weighed down by the law of God. But Jesus says, hey, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling overly religious, and you just can't measure up to what we're asking you to do, come to me and find rest. Because my yoke is easy. I'm going to show you a better way. My burden is light. Now, before we think that that means, oh, following Jesus is just what you, you just say you do, and then you're good. You say, no, but the life I'm about to demonstrate and give to you is the life you're created to live. And when we live as a person we're created to be, it's actually a yoke that's light. And so Jesus was saying, in, in contrast to all the religion and all of the different things that were misunderstanding God and they were becoming oppressive of each other and other people and judgmental, he was saying, take that off of you and learn from me. So Jesus invites us all to take his yoke, to learn from him and walk in his ways. And then what does he tell us to do? In Matthew 28, verse 19, he says this to his disciples, his followers. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to follow all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So not only does Jesus invite us to take his yoke and learn from him and learn to follow him, but he invites us then, in fact, tells us, commands us to go and to make disciples of all the nations, which is why we have an investment in global missions here at this church. It's not so we can go and, and bring our form of American Christianity to the world, but it's to bring Jesus to all these cultures across the globe that Jesus has called us to do. And that's why we invest in global missions. It's a call for us. But to go and to make disciples. Now, disciple was a word that when we see it, it literally, it's Hebrew, it's Talmudin. It, it means student, an apprentice. So when we read disciple and we say, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus, we're literally saying we are apprentices of Jesus. We are his students. 
We want to learn the way he, uh, learn how he lived and learn how to apply that in everyday life. That's what it means. So sometimes we, we can shy away from that because we don't want to be burdensome. We don't want to put law on you, but we've been invited into a life of following Christ. Why would we not want that? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So a command for us is to learn from Jesus to become his student. And if you're a student, that means we want to be, we want to be like him and respond the way he would respond. Dallas Willard, many years ago, kind of defined discipleship that way and, and said it this. He said, discipleship is really learning to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to respond or to live the way Jesus lived. So to be like Jesus to become like Jesus, or be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and respond the way he responded. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, as he uh, imitates this. He says this, Be an imitator of me, just as I am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I handed them down to you. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm imitating Christ. I'm a disciple, apprentice of Jesus. Now you be a disciple or apprentice of me. That's a pretty bold calling, isn't it? What if this, let me ask you this. What if every Christian in the world imitated you? How would that look? <laughs> now, I always think, oh, that'd be great. We'd all have the same issues. That's fine. I could understand you well, right? But the idea is Paul had the boldness to say, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Could we as followers of Jesus say, oh, as I follow Christ, follow me. And, that, and, and let me just encourage you. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect. God knows this one truth, and I want to give you a truth this morning. You are not perfect. <laughs> and you will not become perfect until you are perfected and you are in heaven with Christ. So when you're when you are perfect, just know that you are no longer a human or you're no longer alive, okay? So you got that straight. You're going to stumble. You're going to fail. There are things that you say, oh, these are areas God's working on me. Give yourself grace there. That's reality. But I'm afraid sometimes, and myself included, there's this temptation to, to just say, well, no one's perfect, so why do I have to work on this area? Rather than saying, Jesus, I just want to be exposed before you and allow you to transform and change me. Work on me the way you need to. Because I know in the end, the more I learn what it looks like to walk with the way Jesus walked, it's better for my marriage. It's better for my parenting. It's better for the people who work with me and for me. It's better for the church. Because all of a sudden, they're starting to experience the life of Christ through me. So that's what our goal is. Now, let me just give you a few things. What, when we talk about discipleship, following Jesus, what is it not? Let me just give you a couple things right here so we can understand. So here are a few things that this is, discipleship is not designed to earn favor with God. So we don't follow Jesus and say, God, are you, is this good? Are you pleased with me now? Are you, are you, do I have a gold star? Are you, am, am I moving up the ranks of Christians? Am I at least one step above the person sitting next to me this morning? So it's nothing about, it's not a scale of growth, and it's not to earn favor with God, okay? It's not that. Next thing, it's not a religious practice, meaning it's not temporary moments. Discipleship isn't intended to just be for those game time, what would Jesus do moments of life. It's not just that. 
And it's not something that we just exercise every once in a while. We say, well, I'm on vacation this week, so no discipleship this week. It's not just a belief. Discipleship isn't to fill your head with knowledge about Jesus. That's good to have knowledge about Jesus, but it, that's not discipleship. I, I, every once in a while, well, when I say every once in a while, once a year, I play golf with a, a group of guys here at the church. We have our, our summer golf uh, extravaganza that Curtis puts on, and we go out to Temecula for two days, and, um, and because I golf just two days of the whole year, you can imagine, I'm actually pretty awesome, um, because I save up, I, I save up all my strokes for this, those two days. It's great. It's not, but here's the thing. I could know a lot about golf. I, I could study Tiger Woods, who is probably the best golfer ever, right? Don't argue with me, but, and I could know everything about him. I could know every tournament he won. I could know what he eats for breakfast. I could dress like him. I could study. I could know everything about him, and I could get out to the tee, and if you've never seen me, and I, if I had my black pants and my red Nike shirt and, and the hat and, and the clubs and everything, you might look at me and think, that guy's, he's probably a good golfer because no one would try to look like Tiger Woods and be bad, right? <laughs> so I could know and, and believe everything there is about him, but that's not going to make me be able to hit that golf ball. There's a lot of Christians who are the smartest Christians in the world. They have the Bible memorized. They know everything about Jesus. And then I look at them on the, on the course, and I say, wait a minute. How does that belief not seep into actual lifestyle? See, what you know isn't going to make you a disciple of Jesus. This is a heart issue, which gets to the next one. Discipleship is not about trying really, really hard. <laughs> now, is discipleship difficult? It is. But what we don't want to do is talk about behave, it's just about changing your behaviors and all of a sudden now you're a follower of Jesus. Because you're going to get exhausted, you're going to give up, you're going to find that you fail, and then you're going to say, this is too hard, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not about just trying harder and harder. There's something else that has to happen within us. And that's when we look at what is discipleship. Here's a few things. It's more than this, but here's a few. It's a response to God's call. We become disciples because Jesus invites us. He pursues us and says, come to me, follow me, take my yoke, and we respond. See, we're not doing it to earn favor with God. We've earned favor with God because of what Christ has already done. We don't have to earn his favor. He's given it to us. Isn't that good news? So our discipleship is in, in response to what he has done. Second thing, discipleship is a way of life. It's not game time moments. Discipleship is, what does it look like to wake up in the morning? What does it look like to walk throughout my day as a follower of Jesus? It's a way of life. It's not just moments. And, and there are times when I look at my way of life and say, wait, wait, that doesn't match with Christ. But it's a way of life. And then the third thing there is related. It's walking in the newness of life. So as opposed to just trying hard and changing your outward behaviors, it's re realizing that God has already done something new in you. Look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. I have this on the screen for you. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. He says, you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have new life. So walk in this new, what's true of you is you are now alive in Christ. You are no longer whatever used to define you. So now you walk in that newness. That's what discipleship is. 
It's this reality that I have something different, fundamentally different about me that's true of me. And so we walk in that. Now, let me just tell you this. If you've been a Christian for one week, it's going to look, I hope, a lot different than once you've been a Christian for 20 years. Because you're going to have patterns of thoughts and behaviors and things when you're a new Christian that are just embedded in you. And it's going to take some time for the Holy Spirit to work those out of you. And that's okay. Amen. It's true. And that's okay. So if you're here today and say, I'm not Christian enough, there is no Christian or non-Christian enough. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Amen? So it's a process. It's a process. But walk in your newness. Now, so how do we do this? And this gets to the heart of this series. For healthy habits, we want to propose some behaviors and practices, practices that we believe will help us in our discipleship. Sometimes they've been called spiritual disciplines. Um, some it's now spiritual formation practices, I think is the new cool way to say it. But essentially what it is, what are the things that God has given us that will help us to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does that mean to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to respond the way he would respond? And, and by the way, you are, if you are in Christ, you are with Jesus, by the way. You don't have to somehow find God. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So even sometimes we say prayers like, God, just be with me today. He's like, I am. So maybe the better prayer is, God, help me be aware of your presence today. Or I had a friend in this last week who lost his son to an accident. I can pray, God, be with him. He's in Christ. He loves you. So the prayer should really be, God, let him know you're with him this week. Because you are with him. So for, you, for all of us, we need to know where to be with Jesus. You are with Jesus. He's with you. You can't undo that in Christ. So let's be aware of him. But what are the things that will help us? I, I like the way uh, Dallas Willard said this. He says this. I have it on the screen. The first and foremost basic thing that we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. So we need to learn the practices that help keep God in the front of our minds, that we're thinking about him. Look how David said it in Psalm chapter 16. He said, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also may dwell securely. So this idea that we want to keep God before our minds, so that's what these spiritual practices can do. And the one we want to propose to you today is the study of Scripture. It's taking the Word of God and making it a part of your regular life. Now, there's a temptation, as I said earlier, to just become knowledgeable about the Bible. You can, you can memorize this, you can know it, you can uh, know all the stories, know all the answers, and it can make no difference in your life if you don't surrender to God. In fact, there are people, there are atheists who probably know more Bible than some of us in here. So it's not just knowing it, but we can't get to discipleship if we don't know it. So if you say, well, I, it's not about more knowledge isn't going to make me more like Christ. No, that's true. Or in one word, I think someone said, God doesn't need me to be a genius or to follow him. And the response to that is, he doesn't need you to be dumb either. So you can fill your mind with the knowledge of his scriptures and because that's the only way to start letting that be a part of your life. 
So we want to encourage you to read it. We're giving you a challenge as a church this week. And those of you who were with us last week, you heard the challenge. It's uh, for this year. It's, we're going to read through the New Testament and th- through the Psalms together as a church. And we have a tool that will help you. If you go to respond.church and click on the connect card, you can sign up for what's called the Daily Encounters. And uh, five days a week, you'll get a reminder, hey, read these chapters today. So if you read the New Testament and the Psalms, that's about one chapter a day from the New Testament and about half a psalm a day. And you can do that in one year. If that's too much for you, then we encourage you, would you try to read the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this year. That's about you know, one chapter every two or three days. We want to encourage you and challenge you as a church. Let's fill ourselves with the knowledge of God and his scripture. Because the more we start seeing how Jesus responded to people, the more it starts to become a part of the way we think. When we see how he responded to the outcast and then we see someone we're uncomfortable with, all of a sudden those stories start coming back. We go, oh Lord, I see what you did. We want to fill ourselves with scripture. Now let me give you and, and a few verses just to think about. Psalm chapter 1 says, uh, Blessed is a person who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water who uh, bears fruit in season. We see Psalm 119, verse 35, David's praying. He says, make, my path, uh, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in your path. In verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous, wondrous things about your law. Psalm 119, verse 38, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. So the more I know your word, God, it produces a reverence for who you are. Paul writes this in Colossians, I told you I was going to hit you with a bunch of verses. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes to us, says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and thankfulness in your hearts for God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. See, when we have the word of God and we understand it and know it and have it in our minds, it starts to produce real results in our lives. It's a foundation for a life that is the way we've been designed to live. So I want to challenge you. Would you read it this year? The New Testament, one chapter a day, and add on the Psalms with us. The other one is memorization. Meditate on it. Uh, Do you remember when we had to remember phone numbers? Anyone remember that? (laughs) I used to have so many phone numbers memorized. I don't even know my kids' phone numbers anymore. Someone will ask, hey, what's your son's phone number? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't have my phone with me. I don't know how to get a hold of him. We used to memorize everything. So I used to memorize birthdays and phone numbers and all those important things, and I I could memorize scripture, and now I feel like, oh, it's so much more difficult because I'm not exercising that muscle. Well, what if we tried to memorize scripture? I had a professor in college or in seminary who would read through this Bible, and he'd just circle the number of the verse that he wanted to memorize. And he'd, then he'd go through it, and just every day, just take a few chapters and just rehearse it. Now, this professor was scary. He, he would, taught systematic theology. I did not like his classes. I loved the man. He was amazing. He was really boring, uh, very boring. And he taught just fill in the blanks. And he had a, we had a quiz every week with fill in the blank. I'm like, this isn't why I came to seminary. I don't want to do this. So I wasn't 
the best student in his class. And it was a big class, and I'd kind of sit in the back, and, um, but he had this memory, because he memorized so much scripture, he just knew everything. So I went up, and, and there was days, one time a kid asked him, a kid, one of our fellow students said, hey, what about this verse? And he said, I, I like that one, but you know, I like this one, and he quoted another one from the Old Testament. He said, but you know what I like better? In Hebrew it says this. Then he said it in Hebrew. So I was like, okay, forget it. <laughs> like, but so I went up to him after class one day to ask him a question. I said, hey, Dr. Holloman, um, I just have a question. My name is, he goes, oh, I know you, Ryan. And I went, oh, no, you know who I am? Because <laughs> I thought I was laying low in the back of the class. He goes, yeah, I had you last semester. It just, it was terrible. His memory was too good. So I had to start working hard in that class. So, <laughs> But he practiced that, that gift of memory. And sometimes we say, oh, I can't memorize anything. You know why you can't? Because you don't. It's just a reality. It's a muscle that we have to practice. Okay, my wife always says, you're too mean about that. Some people can't. Just try. <laughs> Start with John 11.35. Look it up later. You can, you can do that one. So I made a goal this year. I'm going to memorize one verse a, a week this year. So maybe practice memorizing verses. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. Now, when we think about this idea of practicing spiritual disciplines, I want you to see this quote from Dallas Willard. I love it. It's a classic. He says, our part, thus, in practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Now get this, look at this. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. <laughs> Has anyone ever read scripture and at the end of it, you just said, wait, what did I just read? Because I know I just did my shopping list in my head and somehow read this chapter at the same time. So I love it. We may well be challenged by burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, friends. They're not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he'll become the pole star of our inward beings. Friends, it takes practice of going back to him time and time again. And don't be discouraged by your old burdensome habits, but keep turning your hearts to God. And this week, through scripture, through meditation. And God, we thank you so much uh, for the reminder in that song of what you, the life that you lived. The death you died and the resur your resurrection, Lord, that means that we are resurrected with you, that we have newness of life. And Lord, we can look to your life as a full revelation of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to live the, the life you've created us to live. And so, God, would you work that out in us and through us? And Lord, the times when we fall short, we praise you that we fall on your grace. And God, the times when we see our lives being transformed into your image, we praise you that you're at work in us and you're revealing new things through us, God. So we turn our hearts to you. We thank you this morning for who you are and what you're doing amongst us. We give you this time now in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning again. We really challenge you to uh, read through scriptures with us this 
year, uh, a couple hints that are tips I would say is try to find a time that works for you and keep it that time. And whether that's the beginning of the day or end of the day, do what works for you. Um, I know some people are doing it, uh, Bible on tape. It's less spiritual, but it works. And uh, (laughs) some people do that as they walk. But if that's all that works for you right now, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Get the word of God into your mind. And um, last thing is, again, if you're a guest, next week we have Seacoast Next. That's a way for us to get to know you a little bit more. We'd love to uh, meet you and invite you to that brunch next uh, Sunday during the second service. And uh, we'd love to meet you at our guest connections area right after this service. So thanks for being here. Turn to one another. Don't forget Wednesday night we have a praise and worship night at 6 p.m. And uh, say hello to one another. Go grab some coffee, and we'll see you next week or on Wednesday.